All right. Hey, everybody. Hey, uh, real quick, I want to welcome you if you are part of our online campus family. If you are here, everybody wonders what the shirt is. If you're in Atlanta, we don't pronounce the T here, if you're, if you're new with us, Atlanta. Um, or around the world, Jamaica, Nigeria, Netherlands, I see you. Um, or maybe you're part of one of our house churches here locally as well as globally. Welcome in today. Um, hey, before we dive into God's word, I want to pause real quick because I don't think we, we celebrate enough. You know what I'm saying? We need to look back seven days and see what God did last weekend, last Friday, last Saturday, last Sunday for Resurrection Weekend, right? Good Friday, Resurrection Sunday. Um, Here at Victory, across all of our campuses, I love it. We had over 16,000 people in physical attendance. We had more than 10,000 online uh, joining in with us. But my favorite number was 499 men, women, and children said, today I am making Jesus Christ my King and my Savior, giving my life to Him. 499. That's how you know we're telling the truth. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't round it up, all right? <laughs> hey, but if you gave your life to Jesus uh, last weekend, welcome back. Welcome back. Come on, can we just one more time? Like, welcome back. We're glad you're part of this family right here. And today, you are in the right place if you're looking for good news. Anybody looking for good news today? Yeah, we could all use some good news, okay? Maybe, maybe you're in the place, uh, depending on where you're at with God, you're, you're, you're struggling to make sense of like all the do's and the don'ts of the Bible. Maybe you're in this place where you're like, man, I keep messing up. How do I, how do I claw out of this hole? Can I ever do anything right? I don't know. Is God mad with me? Is, is he sad with me? Is he glad with me? I don't, I don't know where I'm at today. Well, I have good news for you today. All right. So a few months ago, we began uh, a journey through Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7, here in the scriptures, uh, in what's called the Sermon on the Mount. So this is Jesus' most famous sermon, and essentially what he says here at the end uh, of that sermon, he kind of puts the whole thing into context, and he says this. Jesus says that his truth is so unshakable that he says that everyone who hears and obeys what he teaches will be like a wise person who builds their life on the rock. All right, so that when the wind and the waves and the storms of life come, on the other side of those storms, that person will still be found standing because they built their life on the rock. And here's the deal, guys. I don't know about you, but I still want to be found standing on the other side of the storm. Anybody else? Am I in the right place? Right, because listen, I look at the, I, look, I live in the same world. I look at the world around me and I see everybody's life falling apart. I see everybody having panic attacks. I see everybody raging out on Twitter. I see everybody panicking. I see everybody losing their minds. And what it's revealing is they built their life on the sand of anything and everything except for Jesus. But just for clarity off the top, today you're in a church that is built on Jesus. All right? And you're surrounded by a family who's building on Jesus. All right, so what happens here in the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus sits down on a hillside. I'm sorry, it's not a mountain, not too many of those in Israel, but where he was, it was the Sermon on the Hill, (laughs) really is what it should be called. And off the shore of the Sea of Galilee, up a hill, Jesus sits down and he begins teaching, all right? And he begins here in Matthew 5, going through what we call the eight Beatitudes, this blessed, revolutionary way of living like Jesus. Then he goes on and he says, when you live like Jesus, you will be salt and you will be light to the world around you. And then he goes on to what we're landing on today. We arrive here in Matthew chapter five, verse 17 through 20. And I believe these verses, what we're gonna talk about over the next few minutes, they are some of Jesus's most important teachings, but they're also some of his least understood teachings and therefore least appreciated and least grasped and least lived out teachings. All right, so here it is, Matthew chapter five, verse 17. These are red letters, Jesus saying this. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. And in fact, just pause real quick. The law and the prophets is a very Jewish way of saying the Old Testament. This part, if you're not familiar with the Bible yet, okay? The Old Testament, okay? 
So he says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoa. I don't know about you. I was doing fine until that last part. Now I'm scared. <laughs> like, what? I have to have a righteousness that exceeds those guys. Like those guys are like the home run hitters in the lineup. You know what I'm saying? But here, here, here let's, get, let's get there, okay? See, here's what's happening, is that Jesus comes on the scene, and I don't know if you know this, if, you, if you've read enough, if you know enough about him, Jesus was different. You know what I'm saying? Like, Jesus was different from everybody who had come before him, right? Jesus rolls up on the scene full of this radical grace and full of this radical truth, and all the people are used to is this like legalistic teaching of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, right? And now Jesus is coming on the scenes like talking totally different. Listen, like you would sit down and in one setting with the Pharisee, they're like, all right, you can't swat a fly on the Sabbath. And then Jesus shows up and starts telling the story of the prodigal son. And the shepherd who leaves the 99 to go looking for the one. They're hearing of this radical grace, this radical love, like this radical truth, and it's starting to mess with them. So all the whispers are starting to spin up, and they're like, hey, is, does Jesus believe in the law? Like, is, is Jesus on board with the scriptures, like what we would call the Old Testament? They just call it the Bible, right? Like, is Jesus on board with that? And so Jesus comes up, and he knows that whispering's going on. And so Jesus rolls in, and he says, hey, guys, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. In fact, I came in complete harmony with them. And some of us, honestly, guys, some of us uh, in the church, we need to hear this today. What Jesus is saying is the Old Testament is good. The Old Testament is good. It's just incomplete. See, and here's, what, here's what's really happening is, is the Old Testament is this incredible story of creation. It's the story of the fall of mankind in sin. Okay, how did we get here today? Genesis 3, right? But you don't know that if you throw away the Old Testament, right? And so, so, so the Old Testament, it's good for us. It's, it's the story of uh, how we watch it unfold where the prophets come and they announce that a Messiah is coming. We see, we see the history, the story that got us from there to here. Here, we see of the good laws of God, of what covenant, that covenant looked like, of how to have a relationship with God. However, that same law was incredibly, painfully impossible to follow. Impossible to follow. Everyone fell short of God's requirements, okay? So there are 613 commandments in the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And you're like, I know. Because every year, I try and do the one-year Bible reading plan. And then I hit Leviticus. And that's where like 200 of those commandments are. And it turns into a six-week Bible reading plan. And you know Genesis and Exodus like that. Like you are, you got it. <laughs> You're like, there's a book called Judges in the Bible. I've never even read that. Yeah, I know, because you stop in Leviticus chapter two, right? So there's 613 commandments in the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And as you go throughout the rest of, of the law the, or the writings and the prophets, there's like 2,000 instructions, 2,000 ways to live. Like, it's good, it's holy, but it was impossible. Like, it's bad, it almost turns into bad news, right? Like, like, like just the list, all the do's, all the don'ts. Don't break the Sabbath. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. <laughs> Don't have gods before God. Observe the festivals. Don't eat bread with yeast during the Passover. Honor your father and mother. Get circumcised, the, the boys, on the eighth day. 
Don't glean like the edge. Don't harvest the edges of your crops so poor people can come and eat. Don't oppress the weak. Don't have a grudge. Do the sacrifices. Make the fellowship offerings and the grain offerings and the burnt offerings. And on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And it was almost like this thing of how in the world can we have real relationship with God if we're incapable of fulfilling the law he gave us of how we're supposed to have real relationship with God? In fact, an author, R.T. Kendall, he lays it out like this. This is so powerful. He says, fulfilling the law meant obeying the statutes of the law. So like all the, all the laws, just spend a minute in Leviticus, all right? The standard of the law. So this is the, the quality of obedience. So you do it to the fullest. The structure of the law. So there's civil laws and moral laws and ceremonial laws. The specifications of the law. So there's over those 2,000 instructions. The strictness of the law. The, 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 what Jesus would call the jot and the tittle. The, the crossing the T, the dotting the I's. The servitude of the law. So it, the scripture actually pronounced a curse on you if you didn't obey the commands. The sacrifices of the law, all the sacrifices that would have to be made over and over and over again. And so what happens is, what happens, this this 613 commandments, the 2,000 instructions, it kind of creates this culture where everybody's always down in the weeds. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like, I can't do that stuff. I can't do this stuff. I don't know. Like, like, I don't know about you guys. Like, it's hard enough for the Ten Commandments. There's, six, there's 603 more? You're like, I didn't sign up for that. What, like, I'm not supposed to do this. Did I do enough of that? Did I not do enough of that? Like, is God happy with me? Is God sad with me? Is he glad with me? Is he mad at me? I don't know. Did I do enough today? Did I make the sacrifice for the thing? Like, I know I meant to do this, but I actually did that. Do I have to make a sacrifice? Do I have to do the offering? I don't know if I'm glad enough to God. Did I do it just right? And he creates this culture of, of slavery, of always just, did I, did I check the box? Did I do it just right? And then the prophets come and they say, because you've disobeyed the law of God, judgment is coming. Captivity is coming. Why? Listen, our good God has to punish sin or else he's not good. You understand that's how that works, right? Like, is a judge good if they let criminals go free. Listen, somebody murders your family. They end up in the courtroom and the, and the guy's like, ah, you're forgiven, get out of here. That's not a good judge. A good judge has to punish iniquity or else they're not good. So the prophets come and say, hey guys, judgment's coming because you're not keeping the way of life that God has called you to. But inside every single one of those words from the prophets, there's this but. But one is coming who will save. One is coming who will deliver. One is coming who will liberate you. And that one will then have to fulfill the prophets. So what did the prophets say? Fulfilling the prophets meant this. And what I'd say is there's, there's these messianic prophecies, the, the telling of the Messiah who's coming all throughout the Old Testament. Here's eight of those messianic prophecies. Genesis 3.15, at the fall in the garden, God gives the first messianic prophecy where he's saying, there will come a son of Eve who will come to the devil and the devil will strike his heel, but that son of Eve will crush his head. That's the first messianic, that's the hope after the fall in the garden. Genesis 3.15, Deuteronomy 18.15, Moses says, hey, in the same way that I've been a prophet, I've been a deliverer, I've been a leader, I've been a lawgiver, there's one coming after me like me. You need to be on the lookout for him. Daniel 7.13 says that that the Messiah will come as a son of man. And the the Jews didn't, I mean, still kind of don't know what to do with this. How is it that God will come as a man, have power, and be worshiped forever? Isaiah 7, 14 says the Messiah will be born of a virgin. I don't know how many of y'all have done that. <laughs> Micah 5, 2 says he'll be born in Bethlehem. Psalm twenty two sixteen. this is King David. He prophesies that the Messiah will be crucified 800 years before crucifixion even existed. Isaiah 53 says that the Messiah will come as a suffering servant who will take on and die for the sins of the people. 
And Jeremiah 31, 31 says that the Messiah will bring in a new covenant of how God relates to his people and how his people are made right with God. And that's eight. There are hundreds more messianic prophecies. A guy, Old Testament theologian, Alfred Edersheim, uh, he said there's 456 Old Testament verses about the Messiah. Okay, the chances, just real quick, somebody actually did the, the probability math on this. The chances of one person fulfilling eight of the prophecies, eight, eight, I mean, even just the, the eight that we looked at, one person fulfilling eight of those prophecies is one in a hundred quadrillion. Then somebody did the math on 48 prophecies. So what if somebody actually came and fulfilled 48 of the prophecies? And they did the math. It's the chances are one in uh, one to the 157th power. That means the chances one with the one and 157 zeros after it. That's the chance of fulfilling 48. Who in the world could come and fulfill 300? Who could ever do this? Who could save us? Who could liberate us? Who could fulfill it? Who could, who could come and help us in the midst of our despair? Galatians 4, 4. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, get this, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. And Jesus comes on the scene and says, guys, 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 listen, I did not come to abolish the law. I did not come to abolish the prophets. I came to fulfill them. I came to accomplish them. I came to say, it is finished. And Jesus tells his disciples, Luke 24, 44, he says, everything must be fulfilled. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms, in other words, the Old Testament. And what Jesus is saying, guys, get this. Jesus is saying, I am the one who this whole story is about. I'm him. Jesus is putting off serious main character vibes. Come on. He said, I'm the main character of the story. I'm the hero of the story. What he's saying is, listen, the entire Old Testament looks ahead to him. The entire New Testament is about him. The last 2,000 years have looked back to him, and we look ahead to him coming again. When Jesus came, time reset. I know some of y'all kids, you in school today, and they say, we're in your uh, 2023 CE. That got changed a few years ago. CE means common era, because they're trying to do away with Christianity, by the way. He didn't know that. It's no longer Anno Domini in the year of our Lord. No, it's common era. Okay, here's the question. When did the common era start? <laughs> when Jesus came on the scene. So why is this a big deal? Why, why all the big deal about Jesus? What's the big deal? We could not obey all the laws. We could not fulfill all the prophets. We could never live the perfect way God called us to live. Who in the world could come to do it for us? Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, and when Jesus at the cross said, it is finished, died, buried, third day, stone rolled away, resurrected back to life, now the law and the prophets were fulfilled. Mission accomplished, mission accomplished. Jesus fulfilled the law. Let's look at it. Jesus fulfilled the law. The statutes of the law, check. The standard of the law, check. The structure of the law, check. The specifications of the law, check. The strictness of the law, check. The scrutiny of the law, check. The servitude of the law, check. The sacrifices of the law, you better believe, check at the cross. Jesus then fulfilled the prophets. He crushed the enemy's head. He came like a prophet like Moses. He was the son of man, born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem, crucified and they cast lots for his clothing. Come on, he suffered as the servant to take on the sins of the people to establish a new covenant. Check, 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 check. Jesus says today, good news. There is now a check on the thousand pages and the 39 books of the Old Testament. I have fulfilled them. I have completed them. It is finished. Now, all of God's promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. They're fulfilled. 
See, see guys, let, let me equip you all with something real quick. People say absolute foolishness because they don't know what they're talking about. And people say this, people like to say this. They, they, they'll throw this in, lots of, in our face and lots of times people don't have the answer for it. They'll say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. That's ridiculous. Listen, Jesus came as a Jew to Jewish people and said in the most Jewish ways, I'm God. <laughs> Jesus shows up on the scene. He's like, hey, remember that part in Genesis 3.15 after the fall when the father said that one's going to come to crush the one who crushed you? You, you, you remember when Moses said a prophet like him is coming? You remember when David prophesied about how the Messiah would be crucified? Come on, you know that, that, that when uh, Daniel said that a son of man is coming, you know when Isaiah prophesied and Daniel prophesied and Micah prophesied and Jeremiah prophesied, you know that when the law was given? Yeah, that's me. It's all about me. The whole thing is about me. Don't be confused today. What's the Bible about? Jesus. Jesus. Looking ahead to Jesus, embracing Jesus, looking back to Jesus, and looking ahead to Jesus coming again. Listen, Moses gave the law, but he couldn't fulfill it. Joshua continued the law, but he couldn't fulfill it. King David loved the law, but he couldn't fulfill it. The prophets upheld the law, but they couldn't fulfill it. The Levites carried the law, but they couldn't fulfill it. The Pharisees and the Sadducees argued about the law, but they couldn't fulfill it. There's only one who could fulfill the law, and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. He is the one we've always been looking for. He is the one this entire book is about. And God help us, he is the one that we so desperately still need today. And now, because of Jesus, good news. Romans 7, 4, Paul writes this. He had a great understanding of the law. He said, so my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ. So some of you are like, wait, this is no longer 101 Christianity. This is now 201 Christianity. You have died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. What's happening right here is, here's what, here's what it's saying, is that the 613 commandments and the 2,000 instructions in the Old Testament have now been fulfilled by Jesus Christ. So like Jesus said, not the smallest letter disappeared until it was fulfilled. And then he comes on the scene and says, it's fulfilled. It's accomplished. So now the question is this, okay? What do we do with the Old Testament? Some of y'all, you really need to know this because there's a lot of dumb talk right now in pastors, all right? What do we do with the Old Testament? I am here today to affirm to you the Old Testament is good. It is good. It is God's word. Right, listen, I, I talk to Christians who are like, oh, you know, we don't have to read that part anymore, right? <laughs> oh man, read it. You will be astounded, right? Because you're gonna go in here, you're gonna land in the Old Testament and you're like, this is talking about Jesus. Yep, <laughs> yep, because the whole thing's about him. You're, you're gonna go there. You know, as, I think it was Augustine who said that uh, the new is in the old concealed and the old is in the new revealed, you see, like, it's, it's not two different stories, man. It's all telling the same story. This is God's word. Let me be clear to you guys. Like King David said this, I love God's law. I love God's law. It's good. It's holy, right? It's good for us. Like, it shows us what God loves. It reveals to us what God's hate, what God hates. It, it shows us what God's character is. It's good. But, Romans 7, 4. We are no longer held in captivity to the 613 do's and don'ts of the law. Why? Because Jesus fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law. And then in a big theological word, that victory was then imputed to you. Now, what that means is through faith in Jesus, it's as if you fulfilled the law. You fulfilled the law. And you're like, wait, wait, wait. No, I didn't. No, that's, that's too good to be true. I, that, that, that's too big. That's too great. That's why it's called good news. That's why it's called the gospel. Because Jesus did it on your behalf. 
Listen, all the ways you sinned, all the ways you fell short, all the ways you were like a sheep who went your own little way and disobeyed God, God has forgiven those sins and chosen to forget those sins because Jesus died for those sins and then he fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law on your behalf, on your behalf. So no longer do we, like Romans 7, 4, no longer do we belong to the law because we've died to it. So now the question is, who do we belong to? Jesus. And why do we belong to Jesus? To bear fruit for God. So what, it, what, uh, what does that look like? How do I do that? Well, now maybe we can read verse 20 a little differently. For I tell you, Jesus says, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now listen. I'm sure the people at that time were like, exceed, surpass? I couldn't even match it. I can't even match match it. Listen, Pharisee, that word Pharisee means separatist. That means they separated themselves from everybody else. They, they, they don't look, don't touch, don't taste, don't go there. Like they, how in the world am I supposed to match that level of righteousness? And what Jesus begins saying is, he, he's saying like, hey guys, I, I've come in complete harmony with the, with the Old Testament, but I've come in complete disharmony with the Pharisees. And he shows us, just fast forward a, a few chapters later, Matthew 23, verse 27. Here's, here he puts it into context. Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs. Now notice the bolded words here, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Jesus, like mic drops that thing, man. See, guys, the problem, the Pharisees' problem was that their righteousness was outside. And they were stuck in the weeds of the mechanics of law-keeping, legalism. They were trying to check the boxes of the do's and the don'ts. They, they were stuck in the minimums. Can we say it like that? Like, what, what are all the things that I have to do? All the minimum, all the things. I have to make sure I at least do these things. Checking the boxes is the least they could do. But listen, they're, so, so their outside looked really good, but their inside was a mess. And I know we ain't know nothing about that. <laughs> Come on, guys. Come on. Come on. We just had Easter. We saw people rolling in with their three-piece zoot suits. <laughs> had their Easter hats on, dressed to the nines. That's the Lord in the sanctuary. Like... Just going for it. But inside, the heart's dead. We look really good on the outside, but we know what we did last night. We know we, oh, we talked to our kids on the drive-in, threatened them to behave, or else they will suffer the death penalty in the name of Jesus. Right? Like, it's one thing to look really good on the outside, but on the inside, to be full of dead men's bones. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's like, guys, your righteousness has to be different than that. Your righteousness has to surpass their their type of righteousness. And here's really what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. Let me boil it down. Jesus is saying, listen, I've come to fulfill the law that you are incapable of fulfilling. I have checked all the boxes for you. Then I gave those check boxes for you to liberate you from the law. And now you are free, you're set free, to no longer live for the minimums of legalism. Now you're empowered to live for the maximums of love. That's what Jesus is saying. Listen, listen, when Jesus says, hey, the law has been fulfilled on your behalf, all the check boxes you've been spending your whole life trying to check, I check them for you. All of a sudden, you sit up a little bit taller in your seat. I've been set free. But listen, here's what we need to know. Jesus did not lower the bar. A lot of us are like, oh, Jesus tried to, you know, just kind of did away with it, so I can just do whatever I want to. No, listen, grace always goes further. 
Jesus actually exponentially raised the bar. Why? Because we've been liberated to not live for the minimum, but now we've been empowered to live for the maximum. Why? Because the minimum has already been fulfilled. Jesus already checked all the boxes. He fulfilled all the prophecies. He completed the law on your behalf. So no longer are you in captivity to the 613 commandments and the 2,000 instructions. Those have all been fulfilled on your behalf. So you don't have to live in the weeds of trying to check all the boxes. Now his spirit has empowered you to now live for the maximum of love. No longer living for the minimum of legalism, but living for the maximum of love. Jesus, listen, hear me very clearly. Jesus does not call us to the minimums. He empowers us to the maximums. It is not any longer, what's the least I can do? Now the question is, what's the most I can do? What's the most I can do for God? Listen, legalism, put it up here, legalism is living for the minimum. Love is living for the maximum. Legalism asks, what's the least I can do and still be okay with God? Love asks, what's the most I can do to love God and love people today? And Jesus came to set us free from legalism and to empower us to live a life of love. And guys, let me, let me just say it like this. Loving God and loving people to the maximum from the inward place of the purity of a pure heart is infinitely more difficult than just trying to do the right things with your hands. And that is why it had to be imputed to us and then the spirit to come inside us to empower us to live it out. And then Jesus gives us an example, okay? Maybe you're struggling here. What does this actually look like? Jesus, the next verse goes on and he gives us an example in in verse 21. He says, you've heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. See guys, the law says you shouldn't murder. By, by the way, <laughs> d- d- don't. <laughs> like, that's a good idea. <laughs> like, this is why the law is still good. You're like, oh, we don't need that. <sighs> okay, <laughs> don't murder anybody. But Jesus says, murder deals with the hands, but hate deals with the heart. One is about the minimums. The other is about the maximums. And here's the deal, guys. We live in a culture that condemns the outward act of murder, but it affirms the inward state of hate. Right? See, Jesus knows that A, I may not murder with my hands, but I murder with my heart all the time. You're dead to me. Dead to me. Murder with my words. Come on, we murder reputation. Come on, we murder relationships. We murder their motives. You did this because of this. That comes from here. That doesn't originate here. That originates here. So Jesus says, hey, yeah, yeah, we need to watch the hands. But we need to understand that it doesn't originate in the hands. It originates in the heart. So I'm not calling you any longer to the minimum of the hands. I'm calling you to the maximum of the heart. See, so here, here, okay, come on, come on, come on. Some of y'all are like... We in church, I'm good, I'm like, listen, all right. All right, this is great. Okay, this is great. Until they get your promotion. This is great, until they cut you off in traffic. And then blame you for it. It's great, until you're in line at the gas station, then whoop, whoop pull right in front of you. It's great until you're leaving church and somebody cuts you off. You're like, you're, I just saw you get in your car. <laughs> it's great. Listen, listen. And I know, I know we live in a culture and we kind of embrace this because we're, we're, there's, a, there's a reason. Like we're, we're, we're rightly so angry. And so we live in a culture where it's like, no, 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 just, put, don't, just don't put your hands on them, but you can put your hate on them. And so, yeah, I don't touch you I just imagine in my mind, oh man, backing over you with my car. Oh man, meeting you in the hallway and like just giving it to you. Like, oh, you know what you did, right? We're rehearsing it in our minds over and over and over again. 
See, but Jesus no longer calls us to the minimums. Now he's empowered us to the maximums. So no longer, it's not that I won't murder you. Now I bless you. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who use you. <sighs> Love your neighbor. No qualifications. There's no asterisk. You're like, Jesus, there's got to be an asterisk. Nope. Love him. <laughs> you know what they did. Yeah, I know. And I died for it. You didn't die for it. I did. So they don't have to die for it. Bless them. See, guys, we have a problem when we're constantly asking, what's the least I have to do? What's the least I have to do? That is a heart issue. That is a heart that wants law more than love. See, guys, in my marriage, maybe in your marriage, okay, in my marriage, the question is not, like, what's the least I can do and still stay married? Come on, what do I have to do so she won't divorce me? Okay, what's the low, like, okay, not, no affairs. Okay, all right, honey. I'm gonna show you how much I love you and I'm not gonna have an affair this month. <laughs> See, I did it, I did it. That's not love. Come on, that's the bare minimum, right? I remember this, <laughs> oh gosh. Okay, so when Summer and I, we first started dating, uh, like 97, right? And so I, I, I uh, like, just barely had been dating. And went on a trip with some of my guy friends out of state. And uh, we ended up in a club. I never go to a club. I'm in a club. And uh, like the music's doing its thing, right? And this girl comes up to me and she's like, mm, you know, <laughs> doing that thing. And, 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 then, and then she's like, do you want to dance? <laughs> right? And listen, listen, I'm a dude. I've never said no in my life. And I thought, I kid you not, I kid you not. I look at her and I'm like, no. <laughs> and she was so offended, right? And she starts dancing with my friend. He was more than willing. And, but I walked away, I was like, yeah. Good, that's the first time you've ever done that. I was so happy. In fact, I was so happy. I was like, I'm gonna tell Summer because she's gonna be so happy that I said no. And I called her and she was not happy. Like she, it, it did not go the way I thought it would go. Cause I got, I got news for you guys, okay? You're not going to get any high fives in your marriage for not cheating on your spouse. That's the bare minimum. That's the least you can do. And if you live like that, you're gonna have a, a miserable marriage. And it's the same reason why most people have a miserable life with God. Because they're always asking, what's the least I can do and still get into heaven? Well, God, I, I, okay, all right, the least, okay, I didn't bow down to any statues today, all right? I, you know, I, I, I went to church the last two out of six weeks. It was really one, and then the one I was watching online, I was doing the laundry, but I'll round that up. It's like one and a half, I'll, oh, two. <laughs> Read my Bible last month, didn't murder anybody this week, right? And maybe for you, that's doing the maximum. Because you're like, bro, you don't even know where I came from. Awesome. Awesome. If you're doing the maximum, praise God that you are not who you used to be. Praise God for that, okay? But listen, if you are more than three months into following Jesus, it's time to stop living in spiritual mediocrity. Because there are no high fives in heaven for living for the minimum. Here's a question. If you're married, what would happen if you woke up tomorrow morning and you asked yourself, what's something I can do today in my marriage that goes above the minimum requirements? 
How would that change your marriage? What would happen if you woke up tomorrow morning and you asked yourself the question, what's something I can do today in my life with God that goes above the minimum requirements? Why? Because all those minimum requirements have already been checked for you. They're off your plate. Jesus fulfilled it for you. He already fulfilled it for you. So now the question is, not what's the least I can do for God. Now the question is, what's the most I can do to love God? What's the most I can do to love people? Because now I have a righteousness that exceeds that of the Pharisees. Because theirs was empty, hollow, external. Mine is powerfully external because it originates from a powerful internal. So here's the deal, guys. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you. What does it look like to stop living for the minimums and start living for the maximums? Not asking what's the least I can do. To actually start asking what's the most I can do. What What does it look like for me to actually live and fulfill the law of love? Loving God and loving people, not asking for the floor. What's the ceiling? What's the ceiling of what I can do, okay? So I wanna challenge you to take one step, whatever that one step is, okay? Let me, let me just walk through a few thoughts. Like, let, I wanna challenge you, okay, to get in the scriptures and to get into prayer, all right? Begin, begin with five minutes a day. I know some of you are like, for real? Others of you are like, for real? Because I don't know where you're at. I don't know where you're at. Let me tell you, five minutes a day is exactly five minutes more than zero minutes a day. You gotta start somewhere. But listen, that's the floor. As you continue growing and loving God, then it becomes, what's the ceiling, right? Why do I, because I have to, to check the box? No, 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 you get to. You get to. You get to know God more. You get to love God more. You get to, listen, in the place of prayer, to experience the affections of God for you. Not because you have to. That box has already been checked. Now you get to. Now you get to. So I want to challenge you to read the scriptures. I want to challenge you to pray more. I also want to challenge you to give more. Oh, no, it's, come on, dude. <laughs> okay, listen, let's, let's just go there, okay? You begin with the tithe, right? But listen, the tithe is the floor, not the ceiling. Why? Because Jesus already came and fulfilled the law. Now you're no longer living for the minimum. Now the question is, how much can I give? Not what's the least I can give and say, okay, all right, and still be okay with God. No, now what's the most I can give, right? What's the most generous I can be to God? What's the most generous I can be to my church? What's the most generous I can be to my neighbor? I wanna challenge you, be the most generous person in your workplace. Don't be the stingy guy. Like when the check comes, you're like, oh no, alligator arms. I, oh, I can't reach it. Oh, oh, you got it? Okay, great. I was gonna next time. <laughs> no, come on, man. What's the most? What's the most you can do? What's the, what's the greatest that you can live, right? I wanna challenge you to pray more and to, to get in your, your nose in the scriptures more. I wanna challenge you to give more. I wanna challenge you to love people more. Don't just put up with people and then murder them in your heart dead to me, right? Don't, don't be, okay, you know what I'm talking about. Like, we have to be known by our love, right? Not just this outward love, but, but listen, people know if you're having a fake outward love. But what would it look like if we actually had a love that originated within here, that we already dealt with our anger, we already dealt with our hatred, we already dealt with our offense and our gossiping and our slander, all that, we dealt with it. So now I can have a pure love for people. I wanna challenge you to serve more. Well, come on, man, I, I feed the homeless once a year on Thanksgiving. What more can I do? That's a great question. What more can you do? I wanna challenge you to lead something, right? And I, I, I issue this challenge a lot. Why? Because many of you have been born again for way too long to be sitting on the bench. Listen, and you're sitting at home and you're watching the show on TV and there's a difference in watching it and being in the game. In this world, this family needs you to be in the game. So you need to lead in your small group. You need to lead in your serving team. You need to lead in your home. You need to lead in your workplace. God has put things in you that you are held accountable to because you're no longer living for the bare minimum. What's the least I can do and still have time for vacations and do all the things that I want to do? No. Now the question is, what's the most I can do to love God and love people? And I, I, finally, I want to challenge you to share your faith more. I want to challenge you to share your faith more. 
Why? Because God has been so good to you. Why is it that we are so quick to pull out our phone and show pictures of our kids, which at most, one's my, one of mine's right there, at most is the second best thing to ever happen in your life. And we are so scared to talk about the number one best thing that's ever happened in our life, Jesus. Just tell somebody, what? Talk about it on social media. Take somebody out to lunch and be like, man, I know we don't see eye to eye on this. I just have to tell you what God has done in my life. I just need you to sit there and listen to it. Share the good news of Jesus. And listen, we, we do all these things not in some like law-keeping external works sort of way. No, those boxes have already been checked. Jesus already checked those boxes. Now the question is, how do I go above? How do I go above the law? Because he already fulfilled it for me, right? How do I have this righteousness that exceeds this hollow external sort of life? And how do I have this rich, vibrant, living, internal, discipled, fiery, passionate life for God, which spills over the top of the dam into this world? How do I live like that? Because listen, guys, I don't know about you. My life has been changed by Jesus. I am not who I want to be, but praise God, I am not who I used to be. A little bit more, like Jesus, every single day, all right? My life has been changed, and now I embrace this amazing news which causes me to rise up in my seat for the fact that there is now a check mark next to every single 613 commandment and 2,000 laws. I've been set free from that. I've died to it, to now belong to Jesus so I can bear fruit for God. So now the question is no longer, what's the least I can do? Now the question is, since I've been liberated, how do I live the greatest life of love for God and towards people? What's the most I can do? Because I'm no longer living for the bare minimum of legalism. Now I'm living for this ultimate maximum of the law of love. The law of love, loving God, and loving people. Victory, may we be a family who understands that we are dead to the law and it to us because it's been fulfilled, not abolished. It actually has a check mark next to it now. It's done, it's imputed to you. So no longer is it about the least I can do. Now it's about the most I can do to love God and love people. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey guys, let's do this. Let's, there's a lot there. Hey, let's do it. Let's take a second. Let's close our eyes. If you would, I want you to bow your heads and let's just, just kind of think on that, invite God into this moment. Whew. Father, this is a lot, but it's such good news. It is such good news. God, I'm praying today that you would radically alter how we live because you've radically transformed our mind and how we think. That now because of Jesus, I am dead to the law. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer belong to that. It has been fulfilled on my behalf and then given to me. I am set free, I am holy, I am clean. Listen, because of what Jesus has done, I know this is crazy, I have kept all the laws. I've kept all the laws of God. And I know there's part of you that's like, well, no, I haven't. <laughs> and that's why this is good news because it was given to us by the only one who could fulfill it all. And his name is Jesus. So here's what we need to do, okay? There's a whole lot of people in this room and online who have, who have, who have said yes to that, who've come to faith in that, that when we come to faith in Jesus, his righteousness, his filling of the law, keeping of the law, fulfillment of the law, it's then given to us through faith, by grace. But there's some of us here today who we need to step into that. Maybe you came in here today and you're like, how in the world can I not do all the don'ts and do all the do's and, and, and how can I get out of this hole like of, of just falling again and again and again and you're trying to check all the boxes. And today you need to accept the fact that the boxes have been checked on your behalf and now you're set free. And the entrance point into that is in this thing called faith, saying, I'm no longer trying to check the boxes. I confess that Jesus has checked them on my behalf 
So I'm no longer gonna live the way I used to live. Now, instead of living for myself, I'm gonna live for God, no longer for the minimums, but for the maximums. And if today's the day of faith, today's that, that, that line in the sand of crossing that, stepping across that, and saying, I'm putting my faith in Jesus Christ. Here's what I want you to do all, all across this room, in our rooms and, and online. I just want you to do me a favor. Why don't you stretch your hand up and say, that's me today. That's me today. No longer gonna live a life of trying to check all the boxes. I received the fact that Jesus checked them for me. That's awesome. That's a lot of us. That's a lot, a lot, a lot of us. I see your hands. I see your hands. I see your hands. I see your hands. You can put your hands down. Here's what we're gonna do, okay? We're gonna pray. And this, this, this prayer right here, it originates within the heart. It's not just an external thing. It starts inside. And this is a prayer of faith. And when you pray this, listen, things may slowly start changing on the outside, but it begins immediately on the inside where you're born again. You become a new person. This is fantastic. It's the biggest thing that'll ever happen in your entire life. And I wanna pray with you, okay? So family of God around you are gonna pray with you. So let, let's pray like this. Why don't you repeat after me? Say, Jesus, today I confess you're the son of God who lived the perfect life. You kept all the law. You fulfilled it. You went to the cross because I didn't. And on the cross, you paid for my sin. And on the third day, you rose from the dead. Today, I receive that by faith. So I repent and I turn from my old way of life the way I used to go. I turn from it and I turn to Jesus. Today, I put my faith in Jesus Christ as my King and as my Savior. And I'm gonna live for you the rest of my days, no longer for the minimum, but now empowered by the Holy Spirit to live for the maximum because I belong to Jesus. In Jesus' name. Mm. Father, thank you for good news today. Thank you for new beginnings. God, thank you for the gift of being born again. Sins erased and forgotten. The law fulfilled on our behalf. Now we are set free and liberated to live and love God and people like Jesus. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name for Jesus' fame, that Jesus' kingdom would come here on earth and your will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Come on, let's give glory to God in this place.